Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. I'd like to welcome Chrissy to the show. Hi, Chrissy. Thank you, Bill. Chrissy's a member of Allen and Family Groups and she'll be sharing her journey of recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and share how Allen has helped her cope with the effect of someone else's drinking in her life. Uh, so Chrissy, we usually start talking about uh, growing up and things that influenced us. So what was your early childhood like? In my early childhood, there wasn't necessarily the notice of a lot of alcohol in the home, but I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. There was a lot of domestic violence happening in my home from my mother. As a child, there were eight children altogether. I grew up in a lot of uh, fear of for my life, and that's that's true as I sit here. And I don't have a lot of um, fond memories of my childhood. And my parents separated and half of the kids went into a home and the other half stayed with my dad. And I was the youngest of the first half that went with dad and the other four went and lived in a home. So, so there was a lot of separation, anxiety, abandonment, uncertainty as a child. How did that affect your relationship between your siblings? I do remember my older sister Uh, She was quite nurturing. She would often, I think, nurture a little bit when when things were happening. And I guess because there was a lot of violence in our home and a lot of fighting, you know, yelling and screaming and windows being smashed and all that kind of thing, there was just a lot of fear. So I guess all of us grew up with some sort of dysfunction ourselves whether it was controlling behaviour or people-pleasing. I think that's what happened to me. I was very much a people-pleaser, I noticed, and I was very fearful of, um, yeah, as I was growing up, people arguing because I would just sort of do whatever I could to keep the peace because I would get quite scared by it. So how old were you when your parents separated? I think I would have been about eight. So you're already at primary school. Did that disrupt your schooling? Yes, it did, because we kind of moved a lot. Dad would sort of take us to different places and he did a lot of stained glass window work and he worked always from home, but he had a studio wherever we went. And I do remember spending a lot of time with him in his studio working with him because that's where I felt safe with him. He was doing the best he knew how at the time and he would take us to see our siblings, you know, once a fortnight or something on the, on the weekends. And I just remember there was some, um, it was really quite awful because they'd get dropped off and they'd be crying and hanging on, my little sister would be hanging onto my leg and I'd be popped back in the car. And, yeah, it was just not not very pleasant growing up in that environment. And I do remember as I was getting older that my dad had a friend that he used to have around and they would sit and drink a few bottles of red wine together. They, he was quite happy, but I guess in a sense there wasn't any, he basically let us do what we, whatever, we, we had to kind of bring ourselves up in a way. So it wasn't, there was no parenting structure or advice or guidance and we just all did the best we could. I mean. I know when I was going to school, I would um, do cooking classes, for example, and I wouldn't eat, like some of the other kids would eat what they'd made. I'd always take it home for my sisters and 
if we didn't have dinner because we never had much food. It was we were very poverty stricken, I suppose. So it was, things were pretty tough. And of course, we didn't have all the mod cons that we've got today, you know, washing machines and uh, dishwashers and all of those kinds of things. It was quite different back then. So did you actually see much of your mother? No, she originally she did take the younger four when they separated because it was quite common for her to kick my dad out of the house and throw his clothes and everything. So he would sort of disappear for a while and then return. And there were times where she was taken away sometimes because the police used to come to our house quite frequently. When she wasn't there, I actually think she was put into Rundle a couple of times and Dad would come and buy all his food for us and we'd eat food and it was just like all of our Christmases had come at once. So, But after they separated, no, I did, we didn't see much of her. She took the younger four and then she was actually found incapable of caring for them and that's when they got put into the home in Mornington actually. So what about school then? Was school a, an enjoyable place for you? I had a couple of nice girlfriends, um, but I found it really, I did find it really tough at school because um, we didn't have the good gear, the nice shoes and the nice uniform. I was always probably a bit grotty and I got teased a lot, I think. And I was, again, I was a bit scared to put myself out there and a few of the teachers would question things because sometimes mum would make us stay at home. She wouldn't let us go to school because she'd make us clean the house and do all those sorts of things. And the teachers would question. Like, I think back then they probably knew something wasn't quite right in the family, but they were kind of like, I used to feel like I was being a bit grilled by them. And again, I just would be like, well, everything's all right. I'd be sort of, too scared to say anything in case I got in trouble or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. So what about your sisters then? They're obviously a, a big influence on your life. What was their life like, you know, being older and having more responsibility? Well, I had three sisters that were older than me. My eldest sister, well, see, their lives were quite, went all, because we didn't have any parenting Two of my sisters, the two eldest ones, both fell pregnant when they were about 15 and got taken away to have the baby. So it was kind of something that you didn't talk about back then. And I remember when my oldest sister went to have her child, I was thinking she was going to come home with a little baby. So I was like, oh, this will be nice, a little baby to look after. And she didn't. And I couldn't, I couldn't work out what was going on. And she was really upset and I think it was that thing of dad belonged to the church or and they just, she got sent to a family in Karambara, had the baby and then I think the baby got adopted out, which is what happened to both of them. And oddly enough, over all of these years, both of those children that were born back then have actually found me and got had contact with me and it's caused a lot of grief for my sisters my eldest sister didn't want to didn't want to actually go there to meet the the daughter and grandchildren that she had that she didn't know about I met her when she was probably about 30 she looked so much like my sister I couldn't believe it she had the same mannerisms and everything and my daughter um, because when my kids were growing up, I told them everything. So when weird things happened, like there's lots of um, kind of lots of secrets in my family and I guess all of us experience different things. So I never judge any of my family and I know they all have some amazing qualities now that they've all grown up into adults, but some of them um, have a little bit of dysfunction in their own lives probably due to that and they haven't dealt with it but um, we all do things differently so I just feel very blessed that I ha actually came across Al-Anon because it's really helped me so much in my life.
Moving into secondary school then, um, I suppose your sisters had to start work pretty early as well, did they? Yeah. So did you, could you have a, a normal secondary education? No. No. So what was that like? Well, the first few years was okay. Um, um, I think, like, as you said, my older sisters did have to leave school and go to work because they were pretty much providing for the younger or, you know, the couple of younger ones. Then my dad actually, believe it or not, remarried an American lady that had seven children. <laughs> I'm thinking, why would you do this, Dad, you know? And some of them were a bit dysfunctional. There was quite a bit of alcohol. The, 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 the original father or her original husband was an alcoholic. So there was a lot of alcoholic behaviour in that side of the family. And because we were still quite young, Dad moved into a house with her and there was a few of us, quite a lot of us in one house. We moved up to Mombolk. I went to Mombolk High School. I just always remember just really not knowing what was really happening in my life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when I got to, I think it was third form back then, my older sister had met her partner that she stayed with and had kids with and they moved into towards the city and he was quite strict but he said to me one day, they used to come and visit us and he said, um, I can see that you're not happy here and things aren't really good. He said, but if you want to finish this year of school, you can come and live with us and you have to go and get a job and all that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to wait. Till, oh, can I come now? Like I just wanted to get out of there. That's what happened. And my sister helped me find a job. I got a job within a week. I always managed to maintain holding a really good job and worked my way up in whatever company I worked for. And But as a person just going out, I didn't have a lot of confidence around people like there, you know, there was a few girlfriends that wanted me to go out partying with them and I didn't like being around people that drank because their behaviour changed so much and I'd feel uncomfortable so I'd just want to go home. And so I ended up at a young age babysitting quite a bit their children who are now adults and I enjoyed that back then I think it probably nurturing like when I had my own children I think I had the childhood with them that I never had when I was little because I had so much fun with them and they don't judge you they just love you and I think that for me I just well, I just thoroughly enjoyed it, sitting and watching Walt Disney movies that I'd never seen in my life before and I'd giggle with them and they'd sit there and we'd all muck around together and I spent a lot of time just watching my kids grow up and I absolutely loved it. I think I went the opposite way. <laughs> a couple of my sisters were really paranoid and all sorts of things. And um, So what about relationships? Coming from a dysfunctional sort of home, it's difficult to have relationships with other people. So was that a difficult thing for you? Yeah, absolutely it was. I had a good, a couple of good friendships with people that I worked with and I moved into a flat with a girl that I worked with um, and she lived next door to a really nice, some nice people and they, her husband was in a band and I started to get to know them and again, you know, they, they would sit around and smoke bongs and drink and I just was like, I never, never wanted, which is a good thing, I never wanted to go there because I always wanted to know what was happening. I didn't like the feeling of being around people that were drinking and they'd always try and get you to have, have, have some. But I would always say, no, I don't want it because I'd see the behaviour that would occur and I could see that it wasn't healthy and I didn't want to go there. I was just scared. So in a way, I think that was probably a good thing that that happened for me because I don't know where I might have ended up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's about control, trying to control the environment so that your life stays in control. So how about relationships with the opposite sex? Was that a difficult thing for you? Well, when I was younger, it definitely was. I liked going out dancing. I remember going to a place where they used to do dancing, but there was no alcohol, and I used to enjoy that. 
and back then if I met guys that were um that I thought were nice and then they would kind of for want of a better word pounce on me and, and be wanting something in return or whatever if they'd taken me out for a dinner or something and I just used to think oh my god I'm not ready for that um and I remember saying to my older sister, because I guess in a way she was a bit like a mum role model for me. I always really sort of felt safe with her. And I remember going out one time and saying to her, is this the sort of thing that you have to do to, to be loved by somebody? Like, do I have to do this sort of stuff? And she's like, no, you know, <laughs> um, only if you want to, you know. But I didn't know, I didn't have much education around any of that sort of stuff. So and it was just something that back in those days it never got spoken about really. So you just kind of did the best you knew how with what you had. So I didn't have a lot of relationships with the opposite sex. I just sort of kept to myself a lot because I'd go, oh, well, that's all they want. So because I'm not prepared to, to go there, they didn't want to have anything to do with me because they probably knew they could pick somebody else up that would be would be okay with it so but I wasn't so um I guess it sort of stopped me from doing a lot of having a lot of experiences from being fearful and strangely enough as I grew up I ended up meeting a police officer and he became my husband and the father of the children that I have or the adult children that I have now and he was I was married to him for 25 years and he was an alcoholic gambler. Uh, awesome. We might take a short break there. Uh, this week we're featuring the works of Catherine Britt. She's a singer-songwriter. And her first song called Me, uh, Radio Edit. I used to party with the A-list, was the greatest. I was shameless. Caught up in the moment of the bright lights, the free ride, the upside of being on the inside. I don't want to live on my phone, trying to feel in the darkness with a heart that's never felt so alone, trading in something priceless like realness. If I'm going to be somebody, you can bet I'm be me
uh, that was Catherine Britt. She wrote and sang me, uh, Radio Edit, and courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. I'm talking with Chrissy about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan family groups. So, Chrissy, how did that affect your marriage, living in active alcoholism? He was a lovely guy. I mean, the people in the community loved him. But he was um, what you call a functioning alcoholic. He could still go out to work and everything. And over the years of being in the police force, it got worse and worse. And it was just quite a difficult relationship at times. And I think one of the reasons I married him was because he was a policeman. I felt safe. I thought, oh, I'll be safe with him. He's going to look after me and take care of me. And that really wasn't probably the right thing to think at the time. And I'm not saying that I didn't love him and I did. we had some times together, but over the years I would sit and try and have conversation with him about how important keeping the family together was for me because it was a, a high on my list of coming from separation. I wanted to have a the happy family with the picket fence and all that sort of stuff. And I think that was a bit of a dream of mine. In reality, it wasn't always like that. It was quite tough sometimes bringing up the kids and I often felt like I was doing it on my own because he was always working and there was dysfunction going on in his life that was never, I guess, sorted out or resolved. And back then I didn't know anything about Al-Anon or AA or anything like that. We ended up, our marriage ended up breaking up when my kids were 10 and 12 and that caused quite a bit of heartache for them too. So it wasn't something I was proud about or, you know, I felt like I failed as a wife and a mum and all of those things because of, it was pretty hard at the time and especially with them growing up and being teenagers and my son especially would sort of be waiting for his dad to come and pick him up to take him to soccer training or something like that. He just wouldn't turn up. And it was, you know, I was always there having to pick up the pieces. So it was really quite challenging. Um, and I'm not saying that he wasn't a good dad or anything like that. I'm not trying to blame him for what happened. But I just think I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle things when they were happening. And I just did the best that I knew how. But I know a lot more now and I sometimes think, gee, I wish I had known what I know back then. But it's all part of 
of the experience and and I have such a fabulous relationship with my adult kids now today I'm so happy I've got a beautiful granddaughter and she just brings me so much pleasure she's only like 15 months old and she's adorable and her parents my son and daughter-in-law are wonderful parents you know and I look at that and just go I feel like I've broken the cycle or something you know um the the pattern and and my daughter likes having a drink Uh, I I don't know if I would call her an alcoholic but I I used to worry about that a lot and being in Al-Anon has really really helped me with that to you know step back take my hands off all those kinds of things and focus a bit more on myself and do what I need to do for me to be accepting of the situation and um knowing that there are certain things that are just out of my control and sometimes they have to learn their own lessons and just be there and love them and accept them, flaws and all. <laughs> How did that affect you and the you and the family, having an alcoholic in the family? Was that a disruption for you? Did you have to try and get around it? I used to get really annoyed and frustrated with him because he would say he was going to do certain things and then he wouldn't show up or he would come home really late and um, off you we'd say that they were working late and then I'd sort of find out that they'd gone to the pub after work and be drinking and I used to sort of say, you know, what are you doing? Like you're supposed to be protecting people out there from doing and what and you're doing it yourself. So it caused a lot of, um, started causing a lot of arguments and and, and then I, I just trusted him a lot and I found out things were happening that I didn't know about. Um, he was borrowing money off people and drinking and gambling and, you know, all of a sudden there'd be no money to pay the bills and I was working part-time to get food and, I'd sort of approach him about it and he'd say, you know, don't worry, it's all right, I'll stop and, you know, things would sort of be all right for a little while and then it would all, the pattern would sort of all start happening again. I was just basically there trying to look after the kids and take care of their needs and wants and sometimes he would be there and things would be really nice and other times it would be, really horrible (laughs) and I didn't quite know how to deal with it and I guess I focused a lot of my time and attention on the kids. So how many kids did you have? Two, boy and a girl. Did his drinking affect your social life? Yeah because again it was always um, whenever we went anywhere we were always around people that drank. I didn't like it. I didn't like being around it. I would sort of just let him go to different places sometimes and I'd stay home with the kids so that he could still go out. Or, you know, if I went out with him, you know, I would just stay for so long and then just say, I'm I'm going home, you know. You're going to come or you're going to stay here. Sometimes he would come and sometimes he wouldn't. But it caused a lot of... um, a lot of heartache and a lot of yeah things happening in the home that was just confusing, I guess, for want of a better word. Yeah, it, it is confusing. It's a bit like gaslighting, really, because you know something's happening, but you don't know what. Yeah. And I think gambling's probably a worse problem because it's an entire hidden life that you're not part of. Of course, what would start happening is he when he had time off work, Instead of spending that time with us, which is what I was hoping he would do, he would say, oh, I've got a a cash job where I'm going out to build a fence for somebody that's got a farm or something and they're going to pay me cash. And I'd sort of be like, oh, okay. So he'd get the cash and probably go and spend that. And I'd be sort of like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, like. I didn't and we we were getting to a stage where we could have lost our house because things were just not going so well and um when I confronted him with it all 
he just wouldn't tell me. He would he would lie to me about things. And that's when I started to think, oh, no, this is not great. Like he's telling me lies about stuff and where he is and all that sort of thing. And then I was finding things out from other people about stuff that was happening that I had no idea that it was even going on because I just believed everything he told me. What sort of things made you feel that you needed to have a change? What were, what were the big things that, that got you? Well, I think the, the lying. We sat down and had a conversation one night and I just was telling him that, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. I haven't been happy in our relationship for some time and explained some things to him and his words were, okay, he he wouldn't tell me how much in debt he was. He said, let's get a refinance on our house and we'll get you another car because our car was always breaking down. That was another thing, you know, trying to get the kids to school and then the car would break down, stranded somewhere. And he said, and then I'll pay off my debts and then we'll be all back on track again. And I said, so how much of the debt we're in? How much, you know, and he would never tell me. And then I said, so can you get some help? Like you've clearly got some problems. Will you get some help? And he said, yes, I will. And and I said, can, can you go, you know, something about to the effect, can you guarantee that for me? And he said, no, I can't. And I just said, well, you know what? I can't stay as much as I want to keep us together. And I said, and, and if we're going to separate, you need to be with me when we tell the kids because I'm not doing that on my own as well. It was a really hard thing to do because my son was devastated. Um, he wanted to keep us together and he was saying, you know, Dad's got problems, Mum, you should be looking, you should be taking care of him and helping him with his problems. And I was like, oh, this is my 12-year-old son telling me this. And I'm like, gee, this guilt trip, guilt trip. But... Um, I just, it was the hardest thing I think I ever did because I didn't want it to happen. I was hoping that he would get his life sorted out. He's passed away now. But there was, like like you said, a hidden life there that no one out there really knew what was going on. It was all behind closed doors sort of thing. And everyone else used to think that we were sort of a happy family, you know, is <laughs> that's what you put across. So how affected were your children? Oh, look, it affected them greatly, especially my son and my daughter too because um, I think my daughter just wanted to be loved by him and have his time and because that didn't always occur, I think she was silently affected and because so much was going on with my son at the time, he was a teenager, he was really suffering and he was getting depressed and I didn't know how to deal with that. Took him to the doctors and, and they put him on some antidepressants, which I didn't think was, I didn't want that to happen either. Um, and he went through a really rough time and he was getting some counselling at school at the time and I was working on a coffee van from nine to three so I could drop them at school and still pick them up and do all those sorts of things. And I remember the school ringing me and saying um, the counsellor has been speaking to your son and uh, she got on the phone and said, I don't want you to leave him alone this weekend because on a scale of one to ten, he's probably a one. He's in a bad place. And I just felt sick. It really upset me to think he was feeling that bad. And she said it's a lot of it's to do with your father, his father and um can you talk to him about this and get him to step in? And I said, well, I've tried to do that several times, but he just tells me I worry too much about stuff and they'll be right and blah, blah, blah. She said, would you like me to contact him? I said, oh, yes, that would be great. And that weekend I did stay at home. I didn't go out anywhere and I um, had snippets of conversation with him because he would shut down and not talk, my, my son. They rang him up, my husband at the time, we were still married then, and told him what was going on. And he took a week off work and took um, my son to his place and spent a week just with him. 
which I was very grateful for because being in the police force, he would have touched on suicide and all of those sorts of things. So he did come to the party and clearly stepped in and talked to him about it. And when my son came back from that that time with him, he seemed to be in a much better headspace. I remember at the time I bought him a guitar and he started teaching himself how to play the guitar. And I think that was something that really helped him through a difficult time because now he he plays the guitar beautifully and he he's very much a a softer person and very um, emotional type of person. And my my daughter's quite a little bit of a toughie, likes to pass cars and all that. And I sometimes think she should have been the boy and he should have been the girl, you know. So there's a bit of um, my daughter probably needs some more of that femininity and the, my son probably needs a bit more of the masculine like in, in, to get the balance. And since since my son's actually become a parent himself, because him and I have always managed to talk a lot, you know, when when their dad passed away, that was a difficult time for both of them. I've been able to have conversations with my son and talk about how much it sucks sometimes life and what happens and everything and it's okay to let your emotions out and be angry and frustrated with all this sort of stuff and as he became a parent himself he's actually had so many conversations with me asking me questions more questions about when I grew up and when they grew up and about his dad and how hard it must have been for me but back then he didn't he blamed me for it all but I think he said, Mum, you've done such a wonderful job bringing us up. And it really, you know, my heart just was like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah, so I do, I'm very grateful for that and the fact that he's, you know, he adores his wife and she adores him and it's lovely to see them in the relationship that they're in. Let's take another short break. Even though I know it ain't why 
should make you leave No one should have to stand by me But I need you Even though it's wrong of me You know how to love Let me be And I need you Yeah, you'd be hard pressed To find someone who knows How to love a troubled man And we go round and round In circles and up and down Love a troubled man. You can't love a troubled man. Uh, and that was our second song called Troubled Man, uh, written and sung by Catherine Britt uh, with Tim Rogers, courtesy of Australian Music Radio FA Project. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Uh, this is Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Chrissy about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon. So Chrissy, what caused you to reach out to get help from Al-Anon? Okay, so what happened was we had been separated. We did end up getting divorced, me and my husband, and I was on my own for probably three or four years and then I met another man <laughs> and um, lovely, debonair, handsome, all those kinds of things. And he was an alcoholic too. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and the same thing, making promises they couldn't keep and, and all of that. And I also realised that, you know, he did a lot of things like he would give my things, kids like buy them things that were expensive to try and win their love or something or their his acceptance. And my son would sort of say, I'm not interested in that sort of stuff. You know, I think, oh, my goodness. I was kind of a bit infatuated with him in the beginning, I think, because he would come around and bring flowers and do all these nice things for me. But then I started to see the other side of what was going on with the drinking and met his family and they all drank a lot. And I was like, oh, my God. You know? So um, I, again, had to really sort of think, what can I do? Now, I had um, a really good relationship with his daughter and his son. He had a son and a daughter. And his daughter rang me up because him and I started having some problems. And I sort of said to him, oh, look, I don't think this is really good, but not working sort of thing. He wasn't happy with that necessarily. So he'd keep coming round and he'd always bring a bottle of wine. And I'd say to him, look, I, I don't want to drink. I don't know why you bring it. And he'd still pour me a glass of wine, even when I said I didn't want to drink it. So he'd drink it anyway. So 
those kinds of things, you know, and I didn't really want my kids, even though they were growing up, I didn't want them to be subject to that again sort of thing. And I just said, oh, no, this is not good. And his daughter rang me and she said, is everything all right between you and dad? And I said, well, no, not really. And I just said, he, he drinks far too much for my liking and I, it's affecting our relationship. I said, I know what, he's a good man and all the rest of it. And she said, I know. He said, I've grown up with it. How do you think I feel? And I was very surprised. And she said, do you think you could get him to go to AA? And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't think I could see something I could do, but I don't know if you would be willing to go. But what I did do is I rang up AA myself and explained, you know, I'm going out with this guy and this is what's happening. And the person I spoke to at the time was lovely. And he said to me, what I would suggest for you is to go along to an AA meeting yourself, take a friend with you if you feel uncomfortable to go on your own and just sit in the meeting. And I remember going to that first meeting and I did take a friend of mine because I was a little bit nervous, not knowing what to expect or anything. And I remember being so humbled at the time, listening to the stories of the alcoholics and being so surprised when they said, oh, I haven't drank now for three years, five days, 10 hours and 50 minutes. I'd be like, wow, you know, that sort of thing. But I remember feeling quite different. And then after the meeting, the lady that was chairing, I went up and had a bit of a conversation with her. And she said, oh, you need to go to Al-Anon. I said, well, what's Al-Anon? I've never heard of it. And she said, that helps people that have been affected by family and friends that drink. So I went to a meeting that was like literally five minutes walk away from where I lived which is a Sunday spiritual meeting in Mornington. And I've been going ever since, <laughs> like years ago. And I have just, it's changed my life. I mean, when I went into that meeting, I remember thinking to myself, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I want to know how to fix up this, the alcoholic sort of thing. No, I haven't got any problems, you know. Thank goodness at the time, I always remember the chairperson saying, um, if you're unsure about whether this is for you or not, come to it six meetings before you make a decision. And I'm so glad that they said that because I think I know, don't know if I would have gone back after that very first meeting because I thought everyone was a bit loopy at the time. But I kept going back for the six meetings and eventually got a sponsor and started practising the steps and it literally helped me so much, even just with my kids at the time, because they were going through challenging times, how I would respond to them. I started learning a different way of being myself and trusting in a highest power and getting the guidance from my sponsor was phenomenal. Like just the fact that someone would listen to me and I felt like I could trust them to talk about all of the things and and even some things that I didn't even realise about myself, you know, my behaviours and what I was doing and how I was re reacting to things. And it really was a big eye-opener. And over the time, it's just been a, an amazing journey. And because so many different things occur in our lives, I can understand why people continue the journey because I, I used to think, wow, this person's been here for 15 years. Haven't they got their life sorted out yet? Like, but it's a life journey and it's a beautiful journey. They're very soft and gentle and I think that's what I liked about the program. I could go there and, and I could cry and let my feelings and emotions and nobody judged me or tried to tell me what to do or what to do and how to be and we just learn along the way and it's a beautiful, beautiful learning. And I think it's been great for my kids too because they now talk similar language without even knowing it, but it's all stuff. I think they just pick it up along the way. Yeah, I, I think the change in you is is a, is the significant uh, event. It, it's the same in the relationship to the alcoholic that if, if I change my behaviour, the other person has to change theirs if they want to interact with me. And, yeah, I think that's really good. So what was it about Al-Anon 
that helped you initially? I think it helped me be strong enough to break off the relationship with the other man that came into my life, just work out how I, I could love myself enough to kind of not feel like I needed to rely on somebody else to provide, as in financially, for my kids still going to school because I wanted them to have good schooling that I never had. And my daughter was... Um, she got the opportunity to go and perform overseas in uh, different school plays where they had different schools of attending and cost quite a bit of money at the time, it was about $5,000. And I said, okay, if this is something you really want to do, she was about 15, 16 at the time, uh, you have to commit to your, your training and all of that. And I spoke to the school and they allowed me to pay it off because there was never any financial support from my husband or ex-husband then, so I never relied on him for anything in regards to helping out with the kids in a financial way. So I had to really work hard myself and provide and I think Eleanor really helped me deal with things that were happening with my ex-husband at the time because he was still getting to a point of he was there because he, he was in the background and he was doing things that weren't appropriate and I was just like, oh, my God, and I'd get really mad and upset and when things were happening, I'd just feel so anxious. So I would call my sponsor and my sponsor was able to talk me through it and help me calm down and not not react and because it's not going to help me and it's not going to help my kids and He's not going to change. I can't make him change to the way that I want him to be to make me or the kids feel better. So I started learning all of these things and learning a lot about myself was the big thing and letting it begin with me. And when I was able to start changing things myself, my life just started getting better and better. And I remember my son saying one day, why do you keep going to this Al-Anon thing, Mum? You haven't got a drinking problem because I don't drink. I said, yeah, I know. I said, but it helps me to understand the alcoholics around me, their behaviour so that I don't fall into the trap again and attract these sort of people into my life because I don't know why I've attracted so many alcoholics into my world. Um, it's sort of too common, isn't it? But um, I, I have a really good um, love of myself now and I feel very stronger and connected and I make much better decisions in my life and my life just really does get better and better and I've built a lot more resilience so that when things do occur, they don't debilitate me. I'm able to cope with them quite well and look at what it is I can do or do I need to step in and do anything or do I need to just mind my own business and get my hands off? And that's something that Alanon has taught me. It's an amazing program. It really is. I would never not be in it. So have you changed your direction in life since you got into Alanon? Absolutely. I've always worked. Because things have changed for me so much over the years, I've gotten to know my own attributes, my own strengths and my own weaknesses. I've been able to be, I think, a much better mum and dad, so-called, um, and be able to speak my authentic truth, like say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. I've learned that because um, I never realised a lot of things about my own behaviour, so I've learned a lot. My life now, I'm studying, I've left Monash University just recently and I'm starting up my own business as a coach, a mindfulness coach. It's part of a passion of mine and I've done a little bit of work with the police force. Um, I think because of what occurred in my own life, I've been able to connect with police members in a way that other people haven't because once they hear I've been married to a policeman for that long, they, they let their guard down. It's like they let me in. I've been able to communicate with them on their level and um, it's made quite a bit of difference. So there's been things that have occurred and that's something to be able to help them with their lives 
to be the best version of themselves, not just at work, but when they go home with their families, what are they being like then? And I think that's the part that is close to my heart because I struggled for all those years. And if I had a found Al-Anon sooner, I might not have. But having said that, I might not have been ready either. So I think you'll find it when you're ready or something and when you're ready to make the changes. But I feel as though I'm living a much better life and I've broken a real toxic cycle in my own life. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? So you mentioned you had a really good relationship with your kids as well. Does that extend to your friendship, your friends as well? Has your relationship with your friends improved as you've been able to be a bit more open about your life? Yeah, it has. I don't actually have that many friends in my life. I've got some really good friends. The ones that I have are are really good friends. I could name them on like one hand, so to speak. But I have a lot of acquaintances, that makes sense. So I don't get too heavily involved in other people's lives anymore. I don't look for acceptance because I think I was always wanting to be loved and accepted by people and my family included and I always felt like I was judged and and that was my own stuff you know so now that I've learned to accept and love the person I am today um, I'm very choosy with who I hang out with the people that I hang out with so Al-Anon people were great because they're all doing the work they're all um, out there creating different lives for themselves as well and understanding the way that the dysfunction was and having a bit of um, empathy and compassion for the alcoholic, you know, because I now I don't blame my husband for what happened. He obviously had things happening in his own life that he couldn't deal with and didn't know how to deal with and I didn't know how to deal with them either. So... Yeah, it's changed a lot of things for me and I will trust with the people that I do have in my life. Well, listen, if there's anybody out there who'd like to find out more about Alan and Family Groups, uh, you can phone them on 1300 252 or you can go online at alan.org.au for more information about meetings and phone contacts throughout Australia. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Chrissy for joining me today and sharing her Alan and Family Groups recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to listen again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from a gambling addiction and we'll be joined by Grant from Gamblers Anonymous. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, 
education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all.